right. Uh, joy. Joy week. Joy week number, whatever it is. <laughs> Permanent joy. We're getting there. It's October. October is joy month. It, it needs to be. <laughs> we need yeah. something. No kidding. Everyone, that is Nisha Sharma, one of our very favorite people, who we are going to talk to today about all sorts of things that make her feel joy, including very likely the Fifty Shades movies, because apparently that's a thing we talk about now. <laughs> Every, episode. Every episode. Here's the other thing, though. Nisha, how long have we been talking about having you on for this episode? Probably like a year and a half. For sure, right? <laughs> yeah. Because immediately you were like, I have a topic, and we were like, yay, and then, you know, here we are. You know, we're all just doing our best. It's okay. <laughs> It builds it builds anticipation. You know, it's like the legend is now here. <laughs> there we go. But we have talked a lot about Nisha. I feel like everyone feels like they know you. You know, well, let's do it. Welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read romance novels. I'm Jennifer Prokop. I am a romance reader and critic. And we are here with Nisha Sharma who also writes and reads romance novels and also YA novels. That is the truth. (laughs) And we're very excited to have you, Nisha. Thanks for joining us. Yay, I'm excited to be here, even though you guys totally called me out for my Fifty Shades obsession. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and then did you see we... uh, Wait, is the episode out? Well, by now the episode is out where we also tossed Andy Christopher just right under the bus. (laughs) You know what? No, there is no shame. Anything that brings you joy in 2020, we are here for. And I have been... I watched now, have watched all three movies, and will tell you, I have great about a joy from watching those movies. Me too. I really enjoyed that far more than I should have. Well, I also, <laughs> here's the other thing. I So I'm always doing show notes, right? I'm always looking like, and I found all these hilarious articles about things that like we talked about. Like there was an entire article I saw in Business Insider, I swear to God, about basically it was like the Fifty Shades Darker movies are lying about lipstick. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Do you feel like you missed out on like a a cultural juggernaut? Because wait a second, now I have literally blocked out the Fifty Shades episode. Jen. <laughs> you only read. I've the first only book. read the first book. So what's really wild is to the second two movies are my canon now for what happened. They're pretty close to okay. canon. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, mm. they were written by E.L. James's husband, sure. so I mean, I can't imagine that they wouldn't be close <laughs> to canon. Agreed. But they they are. I don't think the second one ends in the same place as the books, but maybe we should turn to our yes. expert. We do. We have an expert here. <laughs> the second one does not end in the same place as the books, no. <laughs> but I, what I will say is that, you know, the movies are... I've always enjoyed the movies more than the no. books, even though I did devour the movies at a rate that is alarming. You mean the books? <laughs> or oh, the okay. books, I mean. I uh, Yes, I, I, I absorbed the books at a rate that is quite alarming. Like, the third one came out when I was still in law school. I started with the first one, and I would only read it during tax law, and I swear to God, I almost failed that class because I was reading E.L. James the whole semester. Well, it's fine. At least it wasn't contract law, because then it would have gotten confusing. Right. You were like, that's not what I learned in Fifty Shades. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I like I feel like I've somehow slipped like the contract, uh, like a, a relationship contract in every single one of my stories. Like even mm-hmm. if it's like a passing comment, because it's like an homage to like my time with El James. I love it. I love <laughs> so it. she has made a lasting impact, and no one can take that away from me. Nope, <laughs> and no one should. No one wants. Certainly, no one here wants. No, to. I'm like I loved it. Um, but wait a second, because I gotta say that I'm unsurprised now. So I knew what interstitial Nisha wanted to do for 18 months. <laughs> and I am unsurprised now that I know that she was like a midnight attendee at these movies. And she had all the gear. Nisha, I think you need to tell us about your topic. We are along for the ride. We are here to talk about organized crime and mafia <laughs> romance. I am so excited. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Woo. Woo. It's great. It's so exciting. You guys, there is a whole big pool yeah, there is. of mafia romances. It's interesting because in doing the prep for this episode, and as everyone knows, like I don't actually prep for episodes usually I, at yeah. all. But I was like, I want to have a sort of, I want to have a sort of casual ability to drop lots of names. And I was like, I have, I don't know, six or seven names that I can sort of drop off the top of my head, including Cressley Cole, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I went down the rabbit hole on Goodreads lists today. And I was like, who are all these people? What is this world that I have opened? This can of worms that Nisha Sharma has opened for me. It is glorious. So now I'm very excited. I'm excited to talk about it. I'm excited to hear Nisha's recommendations. And I'm excited to get really to the bottom of uh, organized crime romance. Um, Because as I told Nisha, um, I grew up around the mafia. Mm So it's not so sexy as you would think to me but i'm gonna get to russians we're gonna get to i did not grow up around russian mafia yeah that's right i think that it's in mafia stories are really interesting because like they kind of fall into that same problematic category that we all have you know we've kind of identified the sub genre books that have fallen into that those you know that category but um it's uh it has that like rose gold tint to it that romance gives it. And that is that is what is like makes the whole story, all the stories very attractive. Yes, because I will say having grown up. So I, I sort of today was like, how much am I going to talk? Like how much of real me am I going to reveal here on this episode? But Let's do it. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, whatever. We're all friends. So um, I grew up in Rhode Island and my actual last name is extremely Italian. And my father is Italian, Italy Italian, mm-hmm. not what we would refer to in, in Rhode Island as Italian, <laughs> which is more of like a mafia Italian is Italian. And, but my dad got to America and he got a job in Rhode Island working for a scrap metal company, scrap metal. which was run largely scrap metal. by the mafia. Unsurprisingly. <laughs> I mean, we've all seen the Sopranos. <laughs> um, and so when I was growing up, my dad had a lot of friends who were kind of connected in in the family not my family other the family, family right the family 
And what's interesting about it is like when you grow up in that world and you sort of go to events with these people, and I think we spent a lot of time, like uh, there were a lot of like business things that we had to go to because my dad worked in scrap metal where like there would be a Christmas party and all the children would be invited and you'd go and like if you were like me who had read a bunch of books about organized crime like knew a lot about the mafia because she'd watched a ton of the Godfather movies and like hadn't actually lived that world like the perception of that world is a very odd like walking into that world is a very odd experience Mm -hmm. um, because there's so much much money mm-hmm. and there's so much sort of like uh this sort of sense of like hierarchy that doesn't make a ton of sense and there's always in in my family like with my dad there was always a little bit of I think nervousness like he was always keenly aware mm-hmm. of like the line that he was not willing to cross and therefore he was always an outsider because of that. And it's interesting because as he got older and then retired and then he was more willing to talk about the kinds of people who we were interacting with all the time. Um, But what I will say is they are generally not that smart um, as people. And that's sort of makes a lot of sense, right? Because Mm -hmm. the hierarchy of kind of bruiser Mm -hmm. mobsters is designed for there to be like a capo right like the head of the of the family Mm -hmm. and then like everybody else sort of steps falls in line so um but i will say this being the child of somebody who uh worked in a scrap metal company i and also somebody who read a lot of you know romantic suspense and uh was a very sort of interested in storytelling, I absolutely don't understand why more people don't uh, put people into car crushers and disappear bodies, because that is a real easy way, it seems, to get rid of a body. And very likely why the mafia, probably a lot of people do get disappeared in car crushers. But if you've, we'll put a link in show notes to like what a car crusher does, but it basically takes a regular sized sedan and turns it into a cube. Huh. I mean, there was an episode of Bones once where they, where she was able to find the killer, like who was like, who had murdered someone in a car crusher. So I feel like there's always a way if someone is really interested, but you're right. I feel like the mafia would use car crushers as like I mean, most... it feels like. <laughs> so, yeah. And I can remember like saying to my dad one day, like going, cause I worked my first summer job. I worked at the scrap metal company on the, like I worked for like weighing scrap metal as it was coming. I ran the scale. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, And so like, you know, people would just drive their, like, giant trucks would come in, like, with their beds full of scrap metal, and you would weigh them going in and then weigh them coming out, and that, and then they get paid. Um, and it was sort of, you know, the the characters who came in and out of there were the characters you would imagine kind of came in and out of there. And I can remember asking my dad, like, once, like, have you ever found a dead body in the car crusher? <laughs> and him feeling like, what is wrong with you? You know what this makes me think is, like, every place you are must have its own, like, place where dead bodies get disposed. And I have zero, (laughs) I have zero connection to the mob in any way. But I do vividly remember in fifth grade, Mike Winslow's dad was an FBI agent in school. And Hey, Mike Winslow. Hi, Mike Winslow. He came 
day. Like, the <laughs> FBI agents came for a day to basically, like, scare all the little elementary school kids. And I remember, I swear to God, I have vivid <laughs> memories of them talking about, I grew up in Cleveland, how they would, like, basically put cement shoes on people and drop them into Lake Erie. And I remember being like... Do you think that's real? I have, I swear to God I remember just, like, being in the school gym all day and them scaring the shit out of us <laughs> by talking about dead bodies in Lake Erie and how drugs were going to kill you. And it really worked for me. I it mean, did. It worked. Worked. It worked. It does feel like this mythology of the mafia or the, mm-hmm. the organized crime mythology is very real in a lot of yeah. cities, right? Because now I live in New York Ooh. City and there's that whole, like, cement shoes in the Hudson. And then there's, like, Hoffa... Isn't he Chicago? Wait, is he Chicago? New Jersey, New Jersey? I think. New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's like Capone in Chicago. Oh. Like, it feels like there's sort of this constant sense of like organized crime being in the zeitgeist. In Chicago, you can, one of, well, before, in the before times, one of the like most popular tour things is you could go on the like Chicago, the, the Al Capone tour. There was nothing in Al Capone's vault. But it wasn't Geraldo's fault. Sure. Mm-hmm. And they would, like, take you all around to all the places where Al Capone killed people. Shout out to Tom Hardy, who just played Al Capone Okay, in a movie. listen, it, it was great. a really bad movie. That was a very upsetting movie. I Don't watch it, everyone. <laughs> Do not recommend. Like, I was like, hot Al Capone. And I was like, but well done, Tom, for taking a risk. <laughs> Nice try. <laughs> Five points for effort. <laughs> Wait, so Nisha, but this, we, so we both have these, like, gangster stories, but, like, you picked this, so. Tell us why. Tell us why, friend. Well, first of all, like, my reference points are, like, TV shows like Bones, so let's sure. start there. Like, I'm not exactly the most <laughs> knowledgeable about, like, the real true mafia yeah, situation yeah, yeah. that's in our world, um, but I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is... Home of the office. Joe Biden's hometown. It is Joe Biden's hometown. Shout out Joe Biden. Everybody, please make sure that you vote early if you're going to vote early. And, uh, you know, you get in line on election day and stay there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All of that. Everyone. Uh, Scranton, Scranton, Pennsylvania. So it's actually... Uh, it's like a hotbed for organized crime, or it Is used it to be. Really? It was. Um, and we used to, uh, I went to like a preparatory school. And in this preparatory school where like I was a scholarship kid, there were a lot of very expensive vehicles in the car, in the garage and in the in the car lot. And we'd all you know, kind of wonder, like, is that family money? What kind of family money is that? Like, is it still happening? Family money. Exactly, (laughs) right? Um, And I've always liked crime shows. My, like, genesis of, of, you know, romance, my, the genesis of my romance obsession was, uh, this 1970s Bollywood movie that deals with organized crime um, because corruption is still a huge problem in, in, in India. And it's kind of part of uh, almost like an accepted part of conversation in a lot of, you know, uh, of the South Asian homes that I have, uh, you know, been a part of or I've gone to um, where it's like, oh, yes, like the 
the police cop, you know, the cops and the the police chief, like, they will accept money. And, you know, you have to pay off this person in order to make this Bollywood movie. And so the, the concept of, like, dirty money and organized crime is something that, you know, I've, I've lived with. Uh, and it's not necessarily been something that I've ever been fascinated to explore, like, in real life, but when it has that rose gold tint on it, and you start talking about these families that will do everything for each other, and you start looking at, uh, you know, how a hero will go through uh, literally do commit murder (laughs) in order to protect a woman. Like, I feel like that, because of my, the genesis of my, like, you know, romance career, uh, it has become a point where I, I, this is now part of my, like, history, and I love organized crime for that. I will say that I'm very hesitant to always write it versus read it, because I am a woman of color, and the books that I write feature, you know, South Asian characters that are Right now, almost all of them are Punjabi, and you know there's a there's a drug problem in Punjab. There's a huge drug crisis in in Punjab because of organized crime and a lot of corruption. So it is something that like I have tiptoed into in the Singh Family trilogy. But I'm hesitant to write a diverse mafia story because I'm afraid that sometimes when a woman of color or a person of color will write a story with that identity for the main character, it opens doors for false narratives that could be potentially damaging to the community as a whole. So I'm very careful about the words that I put on the page right now and the types of characters that I put on the page. But I do love the idea of diversifying all of the messy, complicated stories that take chances. And right now, I think organized crime is primarily very white and straight. And, uh, you know, and I do enjoy the stories, but, like, I feel like we need to put that disclaimer out there, right? (laughs) Well, that whiteness is real. It's, it feels like, you know, Jen and I, we've never done a, um, a interstitial on them, but we have talked off air, if that's how we refer to this, about motorcycle romances yeah. mm-hmm. being a real problem, too, because they're often sort of wrapped up in organized crime network as well. Or right. At least yeah. they sort of do the same family work. And I, I want to talk about found family being like such a cornerstone of mm-hmm. romance. And maybe that's part of why we're so we find these um, these books so appealing. But first, mm-hmm. I want to I want to just piggyback on what you were saying about um about it being very white, because I think motorcycle romances are also extremely white. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. there are there are several subgenres in romance that are traditionally extremely white. And and mm-hmm. largely it's because in these genre in these genres, these subgenres, we're valorizing a very specific kind of criminal. Yeah. Um, and me- namely white and cis mm-hmm. and het. So to me, the big three, like really white, really heterosexual, cisgendered, it's mafia, cowboys, and motorcycle clubs. Like, those are, that's like the trifecta of that. That does feel like the three. I can't think of any others that are super, I mean, I think there are certain, um, there are certain, like, 
areas of sports yeah. that do that. Like, I think the hockey romance. Yeah, that's true. Maybe too. that's the, the fourth. The fourth. But maybe, but also, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't mean to No, no, it's you. okay. But what I was going to say about that, though, is the thing that I think is really interesting about those three, maybe. Maybe we'll put aside sports. Maybe that's, like, a separate way in which we just, like, whitewash things. Is mm-hmm. cowboy, like, in popular culture... Though they're not the only one of those that's like big, like has a through line of being big for a long time, I feel like is mafia. Like cowboy movies. Even really? Even cowboys? Well, I feel like they kind of have their heyday, like it pops up. But like we are pumping out cowboy romances every goddamn month. Like maybe there's like one big cowboy movie every ten years, one big western. Right? Oh, See yeah. what I mean? And mm. the most recent one, it feels like it was Brokeback Mountain, which sort of throws <laughs> right. out the whole... Right, so it's, it's right. It, like, whereas maybe back, if you're talking about, like, the 70s, where it's, like, Gunsmoke, and it was, like, TV, and all that was, like, ongoing. Mm-hmm. And then maybe with Motorcycle Club Romance, I guess there was that TV show people watched, um, uh, Sons, Sons of, of Anarchy. Anarchy. Nisha, were you a Sons of Anarchy fan? I was not, actually. Yeah, and I, I well, I don't really watch TV, right? Me neither, but... It was, it was like, too close to, like... It was too close to the truth for right. me to white and supremacy. To right. white supremacy, and I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Like that's not the. That's not the kind of romance that I'm here for. Agreed. <laughs> cowboys, like at least the way it works now, cowboys and motorcycle club romances feel really like a romance only genre. Mafia feels like a American, like a very American genre. Yeah. It's like a yes. cornerstone of American culture. And the thing, and again, right. it, I know it's very cisgendered and, and cis had to talk about it this way, but I think I, my question is, and I don't have an answer, is are romances, many of which are written by women, answering or like responding to a way in which a lot of straight white men love mafia stuff? And, and I just don't know the answer to that. Are we arguing that straight white men are, are that women don't come for like the Godfather or like the the or Sopranos or any of the like mafia stuff outside of romance? So, because I feel like I did I in a lot I of ways, did like, and I love I love and like I love a sure mafia I do movie. too. But here's my question, and maybe maybe it's different. The Sopranos probably is like the last thing I really watched from beginning to end in that genre. I am fascinated by the way in which women exist in that world, mm-hmm, but it yeah. was, I was never under any illusion that women were a main part of that world. No, and also in all of these, there there is there is always the sense of like the knife's point. I think what what happens in romance around mafia, around the sort of organized crime, like criminal mafia concept, is similar to what what happens in in all media because there is always a sense of like you may not want these men to succeed mm-hmm. right like there's a balance between like mm-hmm. do you want them to win or not and in romance there's such a morality chain story that gets mm-hmm. sort of wrapped into yeah. the mafia story that doesn't happen in other books you in other forms of media like when you think about um, that morality chain storyline in in organized crime movies or television shows, whenever a woman enters and like tries to pull someone out of the family, mm-hmm. they die. Oh, yeah. Either the woman dies or they both right. die. Right. Mm-hmm. Every time I go out, they pull me back in. I mean, it's like a 
famous thing from the Godfather. Right. Absolutely. Right. And so I guess I would say that to me feels different the way in which the story plays out. I, I mean, so I, I mean, and I don't know, I can't speak to that. But in romance, she writes, right? Like she right. pulls. Yeah. She and I'm just him. gonna go ahead and say I have never in my life, in all of my years of reading romance, ever read a like a queer mafia romance. I will say this today: I went looking for a queer mafia yeah. romance, like for just because I was like, surely I've read right. one, right? Like, and I looked at the queer mafia list on Goodreads, which we will link to in okay. show notes, because I'm unable to recommend any of those books because I haven't right. read them. Um, but there is a large; it seems mm-hmm. like there is a large subgenre of the subgenre. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think I don't know that in self-publishing, yeah, in self-publishing, people are doing amazing work. Yes. They're trying to really bring added context and texture to this subgenre, this in romance. And, um, you know, I was trying to think of the last, you know, few queer mafia romances that I read that I really enjoyed. And you're right, like, they're so, like, they still are so few and far between, but that Goodreads list, I think will help in if people are like specifically looking to explore that, you know, that subgenre. Um, but I think that to kind of go back to Jen's point, there's something that's really amazing that's done in mafia romance with the female character. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, the authors are always trying to give them a sense of agency and a sense of power, even though that the power dynamics and the power structure that exist in the story aren't in favor of, I mean, no, I know we're talking in binary terms right now, but it aren't in terms, uh, aren't in favor of the female character. Um, and that's what's so fascinating to uh-huh. me. Like, how does this woman get power? Yeah. And, you know, and like Cressley is a great example of that. Like, uh-huh. Cressley gives power to the woman in so many different ways. Yeah. But Cressley also really. Th- I obviously we spent a lot of time that first season talking about those three books, right? right? right. Uh, the professional, mm-hmm. the master, and the player, and um, and I mean, two of those books are Jen and my. I would say like they're in our top ten romances yes, of all absolutely. time. So, mm-hmm. um, but what's interesting about what Cressley does is Cressley removes the hero from the crime, yeah. almost instantly. Mm-hmm. Right? None of those. All of those here as well. In the player, it's not actually the case. But in the first two books, those heroes make their money in organized crime. Mm -hmm. Um, But you never see... The closest you get is in the professional, right? right? Where Mm -hmm. he works for the Don. Mm -hmm. But um, in the master, he just has a ton of money. Yeah, it's trying to get out, maybe. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? And Mm -hmm. I think that there's some... There's, like, that's a very overt and, and... solid choice as a writer for those characters because I mean it is a tricky thing like showing characters doing bad stuff on the page and you know you think about I think about like so there's Cressley and then of course Jen and I talk about Annika Martin a lot on the the, the, um, podcast and we love those Annika Martin books they are fabulous um, but again, those heroes are doing, or the, fir- in the, the hero in the first of those Annika Martin books is doing bad things for a moral reason, right? right? Like, it's, ven- mm. I mean, well, Eric would be like, vengeance is not moral. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it's also not like, I'm going to steal your booze. 
right? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Or it's, I just want money or it's, I'm a, you yeah. know, psychopath. I mean, like, you know, what's funny, cause we're going to talk a lot about, I think like women in these worlds. And I feel like you're right. Like that patina of like, ro- like the rose colored glasses of sort of the way this works out, but a movie I think about, and I feel like I've mentioned this before is in traffic, Catherine Zeta Jones. It's a movie, right? She realizes she's like, just like living this happy suburban lifestyle in La Jolla, California, and doesn't really realize what her husband's business is. But once she realizes he's in the drug trade, she essentially like takes over. Cause she's like, I don't want to lose my lifestyle. And so that's going to mean I'm going to be willing to like step into it. But when you watch that movie, it's not heartwarming. It's sort of chilling. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's, and then you think about, yeah. um, did you guys ever watch weeds? No. Ever. So weeds is Mary Louise Parker and her husband dies. She's a stay at home mom in California. Her husband dies and she's like stuck. She hasn't worked in a decade, 15 years, she doesn't know how to get a job to, like, keep her kids, you know, fed. And so she starts to, um, she starts to deal marijuana, which is the first season. And then she gets sort of wrapped up in this kind of drug, drug trade. And she becomes, like, a queen pin. Yeah. Like, if that's a word. And there's something really compelling about that whole story, that whole show, because you're like, I've never seen this story told with a white lady. <laughs> A white lady, like, running the show. Right. But, I mean, can have do any of you have recommendations, have a, have a book on your list that's, like, she's the mafioso? So the sixth book in mm-hmm. Katie Roberts' O'Malley series. <laughs> I love that series. It's so great. So yeah. good. It's so great. Um, so, like, the first five are, uh, are, Irish mafia in Boston. And then the last one is Irish uh, mafia princess with Russian mafia head in New York. And the last one, she's like the youngest. What's the title, Nisha? Oh, good Lord. Uh, I feel like I should have had that ready to go. Is it The Um, Bastard's Bargain? Is this the one? It's one of the bargain books, isn't it? I think so. I think it's The Bastard's Bargain. This Um, is the one. Its book is fucking amazing. But apparently this was a hero. People were like, there's no way you could redeem him. And I read it in the first one I read. And I was like, yeah, this guy's fucking great. What's the problem? (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, he tortured people. I was like, I don't think I care. I mean... I mean, talk so? about talk about making some choices, Katie Robert. Like in that story, the heroine um, is basically like the he- the hero says, "I was promised a bride, and I'm going to take a bride." And the heroine is like, I mean, Katie had been building the attraction between the two characters for a couple books, so it's not like the attraction didn't exist between the two, and she. And he gives her an ultimatum saying, like, this is what I'm going to do to your family or you can marry me. <laughs> and she's like, well, well, I guess I guess we'll go with this other option. And um, she's also uh, trigger warnings. There's addiction in uh, in the book. So um, uh, I laugh only because Eric is always like, like that. You two thing. are going to put a trigger warning on like, a, you know, oh, be careful. The horse dies, but not on. 
I'm yeah. like, it's fine. Listen, if you hadn't given that trigger warning for that book, I swear to God, I don't know what it would have happened. I would have been texting you at 2 in the morning. <laughs> been very upset. See? Very, very upset. So I appreciate that trigger warning, Eric. That was necessary. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but there is addiction in the story. So just, uh, you know, keeping that in mind, in addition to murder and mayhem and organized crime. It is the bastard's bargain, by the way, guys. And in that story, she becomes this powerful force that ends up saving him. And um, I absolutely love it. Like, you can see the character growing into that mold. Um, there, I think that there are a couple more that I, I like, want to say that, like, have heroines that are in this leadership role um, in that series, like the first book, The Marriage Contract. She is the oldest daughter of the Irish mafia uh, family. The the the, the uh, competitors or like the enemies, right? Or no, no she's, so the, she's the daughter. She's the, like the, the first book in that six book trilogy by Katie Robert, the, is about the oldest daughter of the Irish mafia family. That's the marriage and contract. That's the marriage contract. And she also has a significant amount of power and, and her father is basically like, you have to lead the family and do what's right. And we're going to join these families. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a marriage of convenience mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, wonderful the way that the hero and the heroine first meet in an alley it's just Mm. great (laughs) so uh that that would probably be another one um i think those are the ones that really attract me the most the ones where the the heroine has really like embraced the mafia lifestyle and it's like i am i'm here for i I, i'm not exactly excited about the moral implications of you know the work that i'm doing but if I have to protect my family, if I have to protect the ones that I love, I will do what I have to do. So for you, it's like tied up in not only power, but also duty or loyalty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think coming from a very large Indian family where it's like, you know, I know that there there are some people who have kind of approached family as like, you don't have to stay with the ones that you know, you're, you're born with, especially if they're problematic and they hurt you. And, you know, like you should like do what's best for your safety. But, you know, coming from the South Asian family, we, we've always overlooked smaller flaws that are just irritating. And it's like, you have to accept that because they're family, right? Like that is smaller flaws, like being a mobster. (laughs) And so to me, in my, in my niche brain, for some reason, that's okay. It's like, like oh, mobster is considered a smaller flaw according to my mother and I'm okay with Fair. this. <laughs> so I mean but there there is also this other piece right which is so that's like the the one way where like the hair and I'm again unsurprised like Nisha writes these badass like heroines who run their own businesses and of like, course that would appeal to you like, right you know yeah mm-hmm. kick ass take names right mm-hmm. but then there's the other side the flip side and like this is kind of this is appealing too for a lot of in a lot of ways for all the ways there's something very i don't know where i'm going no i know where i'm going but i'm all you'll get there place. so um there's this really appealing kind of his almost like old-fashioned like historical feel to some of these books in that in several of them 
um, the ones that I sort of immediately could name off my off the top of my head, the hero is basically like, I can't love you because you will be harmed mm. by your relationship. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, so good. If I love you, I am putting you in danger. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about, like, um, C.D. Reese has her corruption series, which begins with Spin, um, which is short for the hero's name, Spinelli. And he's, like, the head of... He's the head of, like, a a family in Los Angeles, like, uh, um, quotation mark family in Los Angeles. And the heroine is, like, a person who he just, like, cannot, like, she is too good for him. She She's, like, up on a pedestal. He can't touch her. He's gonna, he'll hurt her if he lets himself get too close. Like, she's, if he lets her get too close, he's gonna be harmed, too. Like, he can't leave space in his brain for her. And I, I mean, I love that same. Like, I love that in a hero, in a hero at any time in any book where it's like, and I mean, that's like a classic romantic suspense trope too, right? Mm -hmm. If I spend any time with you, you're going to be a distraction and get us both killed. Which I love. (laughs) Put it on a plate and serve it for dinner. I will eat all of that up. I will eat all of that up. (laughs) I mean, I think, I think everything, everything about a a hero who believes he is not worthy enough is, is like just so great when it comes to, I feel like everyone on Twitter after this episode is going to be like, Nisha, we didn't know you as well as we thought we did. We don't know if this is okay. I do think there are some tropes where you like reveal that you love them and you feel like you're really showing something, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for Sarah, like your example, I definitely think like Cressley's books fit in that bucket. May, the master for sure. Your, Which is my favorite. Cressley yeah, book. for sure. Yeah. I think the other two are just so instantly like, oh my God, I have to have her. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. also great. Well, I think that's it too. Like the rules of society don't seem to apply the same way. And so then. But it. That's what it is. It feels so, and it's everything that Nisha was just saying. Like, the rules are so intense Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. different than anything, like, anything in the rest of the world in 2020. But, like, it feels like in these small bubbles of power and privilege and, like, Mm -hmm. the family's rules are paramount. Okay. So I have a third thing that I think is really appealing about these books. And for these, I'm going to use probably my, outside of the master, and, like, occasionally, like, I'll dip into one of these. Like, I read The Bastard's Bargain, but not, like, the rest of them. A series I do really like by Roxy Rivera called Her Russian Protector Mm -hmm. is about the Russian mafia in Houston. And the one that I really liked the best was called Ivan. And I think the thing that the the other thing about these books is you have someone who is outside of the world who only thinks, like, I swear to God, you guys, I really only think it exists in, like, books and movies. And so you have this innocent who, for some reason, has to enter into the world of the the mafia, right? It's And it's either accidental or it's on purpose. Um, and then they discover that, like, actually there's this whole layer of, like, society that exists underneath what they thought. And I, I think there's something then really interesting to me about putting a character 
And uh, I mean, often, again, it's so cishet, often it's a woman, right, who's like, I'm entering into this world. And in this case, um, in Ivan, Aaron is our our main character. Oh, we should tell Aaron, Clayton and Aaron. It's Aaron. Um, remember, Aaron was like, there's never an Aaron. I'm about to text her. Um, she, <laughs> something has, her sister is in some sort of trouble. And she has been told if she goes to this, like, MMA or MMA, MMA, is that what the, the fighters are? I'm like, the fighting thing? Um, goes to this gym that's owned by Ivan. She could ask for some help. I love Ivan oh, already. <laughs> it, it's really great, right? Yes. Oh, So she could ask Ivan for help finding her sister who's in some sort of trouble. And, of course, she's like, you know, she's with a friend who's like, you can't go in there. <laughs> and, you know, she's like, no, I can. This is the only person in Houston who could possibly help me. But all in every single one of the series, it's often this plot is like, I'm drawn into a world I didn't really think existed. So one woman, it's her neighbor is, um, you know, like the cleaner or something. And, you know, and, and, and in one woman, one woman who actually falls in love with like the head guy, um, Nikolai, I think is that one is she's just like a waitress in the restaurant he owns. And so I think that there's something really appealing too about people drawn into the world that's, you know, like you enter into the world that you didn't even know existed. And I think that's another thing that's often really appealing about these books. I, I think that like to kind of piggyback onto that, the, the, also the ability of the heroine to explore an area that is so fearful for us in real life. It's like she is, she's basically pushing boundaries and exploring an area of like, uh, or a family or a, a a world that causes deep like upset for us in real life and and ends up you know being able to to navigate it successfully and and conquer those fears um that's always like the the idea of fear has always been something that's really fascinating to me and how um characters basically overcome it in order to achieve a goal that you know is is wonderful and shiny and and never really considered attainable um you know in in our real world yeah yeah yeah, I mean, at the beginning of Ivan, her friend is, like, trying to talk her out of it. And she says, these are not the kind of men you go to for help. These are the kind of mm-hmm. men who usually need help escaping. So mm-hmm. then, right, what you're really also doing is, I think, really driving into something I think a lot of us are, like, maybe working, maybe it's just me, working through in romance, which is, you know, pure patriarchy, right? Like, these systems are like designed by men and benefit men and men are part of them and and women are not and so it's often really like dis- super charged right so yeah a woman sort of mm-hmm. being brave enough to like really uncover that world or enter that world and then conquer that world mm-hmm. even if it's not that she's becomes a part of like the crime family but to like sort of tame the man in this case right who's part of it um that's yeah, that's my id. I mean, <laughs> it all, but this is, it's pure id for, I mean, like, it really does harken back to those, like, 
old, old, old books, yeah. right? Because mm. it's, I'm thinking about like Laquette's Lies You Tell. So good. One of my favorite <sighs> mafia romances of all time, by the it's way. It's <laughs> so, so good. Um, but I think that, the, so the premise is that these two were like in love and they, um, are separated by circumstance and like a miss what is essentially a misunderstanding, but she thinks he's like gone evil and wants her dead. And so she's like mm-hmm. faked essentially like living a new life, like pretending like, a, cause she has a child to his child mm-hmm. and, um, she is, she's hiding in plain sight and he finds her and it is like, a complete 180 in terms of his focus, right? Like he was the Don and now like literally he is willing to do anything to get this woman and to like love her and treat her the way that he, she deserves. And there's something about that arc and it's not specific to mafia romances at all, but like about the arc of like, I have a singular focus here and it is I mean, like, I have a singular focus here, and now I have my singular focus is redirected on the heroine, right? Like, it's you above everything else, um, which is added to, you know, this layer of morality chain, right, comes into play in mafia romances. And I mean, it, it's also like, it seems, Laquette does it so beautifully, and it's mm-hmm. such, that book is incredible. And then you have kind of on the flip side... Where, like, Jessica Kane yeah. does it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And, like, mm-hmm. she's not, like, her, those books are designed as, like, pure erotic romance. Like, they are a straight shot of erotic pleasure. Um, but I'm thinking about, like, the fighter's prize, whose hero is yeah. also Russian, whose hero is also an MMA fighter, and mm-hmm. who is tied up in this, like, um, world of like fixing fights and like right. mm-hmm. running gambling rings and that kind of whole world. And that goes back to what Jen was saying about like suddenly this like kind of person who didn't know very much about this world needs access to this world, right? She's mm-hmm. this is a classic old fashioned trope too. Jessa has done like where the heroine has to sell herself to the fighter. Right. Essentially, she gives herself as a gift to a fighter to somehow, like, finagle her father's gambling debts. But in that moment, like, he, too, has... I mean, Jessica and Heroes, forget it. They see the heroine, and, like, like, one sentence in, they're like, it's you forever. Oh, yeah. It's you forever. Well, sure. (laughs) Um, Which is, like, if that's your kink, Jessica has got you covered forever. But I think, you know, it's funny, because you mentioned in Laquette's book, like, the baby... I will, I'm not a fan of this. I, I have a hard time with the secret baby because I'm always like, oh, it's such a good. Well, baby, and here's though. my thing is, I love. See, the I'm always baby. like, listen, babies are so. Nisha's gonna come back for secret baby. Babies are so fucking hard. Why would anyone keep that shit secret, right? But often the times it works for me is when the heroine, you know, was like, I got pregnant with this man I just thought was, like, normal, and then I thought or realized that Mm -hmm. he was tied up in crime, and then I had to keep it secret. And an example of that is Bad Neighbor by Molly O'Keefe. And often Mm -hmm. that is the one time where I can really buy 
that like there was a real reason why it had to be kept secret because I was like, well, sure, you were terrified. Um, but no, you know, yeah, normally it doesn't you. work for me. I'm like, fuck, you're just a regular but person. Here's, it's not a secret goddamn baby. Get some child support and get on with your life. But this is why mafia romances work so well when they're done so well, because fear is a piece yeah. of it. Like when I started ta- at the beginning of this episode, I told you the story of like my dad, who was not in the mafia, like working with a bunch of people mm-hmm. who were he like ancillary to mafia, right? right? My dad lived with a lot of, like, work fear that I think came from these people, this world. And Mm -hmm. so I think that um, that kind of, like, very realistic, this, there is a very real sense of, like, um, uh, an understanding of the fear, for the reader, of the fear being very real, right? Like, Mm -hmm. because how often, you know, we talked over text earlier today about Joanna Shoup, right? And, like... And obviously, like, the devil of downtown, please. Yes. Please. (laughs) But, like, in a historical, and I wrote, like, the Bare Knuckle Bastards, right? Like, I've written a criminal, like, enterprise, too. But, like, in a historical, it's kind of, like, smoothed over. It's Vaseline to the lens. But, like, Mm -hmm. when you're writing, you know, when LaQuette or Annika or C.D. Reese or, you know, any of the people that you just mentioned write their books, it feels like real like it's a real fear i also think it's because in in a modern romance we know that means guns right whereas i feel like in historical you can just have like somebody who you think i don't know i think the body count can be a lot higher i think uh in a you're really maybe the heroine has to really like resign herself to really knowing what that means as opposed to like jack mulligan just being like a pugilist or whatever and being able to like hit people so maybe it feels like though because you know i don't know maybe that's just me like in a the vaseline of a historical is being like yeah you know like in a knife fight how many guys could he really kill at once i don't know (laughs) yeah i think I think the interesting thing about Joanna's book is it kind of goes back to the reason why Cressley's book is so great that like the hero ends up like giving up like or is like separates yeah. himself from the crime. Um, did I spoil it? I don't want to spoil. <laughs> I feel like I just spoiled. I don't know. I spoil We've it? talked about that book yeah, a lot. On it's this, fine on this podcast. Okay. If you haven't read it, I s- more fool you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like you just haven't Sorry been about listening that. to us. <laughs> My bad. My bad. Um, but but yeah, I think that, you know, there's that separation and um, and there's so that morality chain that you mentioned, Sarah, is really twisted within the story to the point where like the heroine is a representation of that morality chain. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then, of course, so, you know, we've talked about morality chain. We've talked about like strong heroines. We talked about the heroine who's um, very much an ingenue when she walks into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked about sex, which is such a huge piece of so many of these books. Like the slow burn mafia romance is not really that a doesn't really exist. Thing. Maybe that's why I like it so much. I'm all like slow burn, twenty percent in. And I, mean, like, I mean, like I do think I want to shout out Clay- Kate Claiborne here because we talk about Dark Mafia Prince by Annika Martin a lot on this ep- on this podcast. And we have never once discussed the fact that, like, there is a whole video that is taken of a blowjob in that book <laughs> where, like, the hero is literally holding a gun to the heroine's head. And it's not, he is not forcing her. He, it is, it is done 
very deathly in her point of view. And it's he's videotaping it to send to her father to like scare him for right. vengeance. You guys, I know. Eric is gonna divorce me after this one. No, he's not. Uh, so, but but the the reality is that like this one is like I I've it, Kate was like, I can't believe you didn't tell me that this happened. And, and I was like, what are you talking about? I did not remember that it had happened because it's consent like it's the consent is clear. But I also feel like right. I, I and maybe this is just like the promise of the premise, right? Like I yeah. know going in that some banana it shit is gonna happen the in these books because it you know, I feel like there's the subgenres that push against because they're not taking place really in our reality yeah. in the same way. The rules yeah. get to be different yeah. for a lot of interactions. Well, and it's like this particular subgenre, it allows for all of this. I'm thinking about, um, I talked uh, earlier this season about Theodora Taylor, um, who, shout out, uh, <laughs> Theodora. I didn't know that you were, went to Smith too, but now like we're, that's it. We're sisters forever. You get to be on every episode now. Um, but I wanted to talk about her, um, Luca, which is mm-hmm. really interesting because yep. this is a, rev- have you read this Nisha? Luca? Yeah. Yeah. Luca. And so he's, the hero <laughs> is the son of a mafia Don who is kidnapped by a rival Don and like, tortured in a cage like really so but it's a retelling it's a retelling i think it's and like theodora let let me know if i'm right but like i think it's a retelling of the minotaur myth like because the heroine Mm. who is um the heroine is assigned to feed him like she's assigned to like go down into this like basement and feed him in the cage. And then when he is finally released from the cage, like he just vows to take revenge. And like, it's a real like dark, messy book. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, it feels so much like it's a retelling of that story of like the beast in the cage, like being made like the kind, decent beast being made into like pure vengeance. And then with the only string like the only piece of his humanity is attached to this, this woman. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so like, I don't know I, this is a crazy subgenre, and I mean, I love it, but a lot is going yeah. on. <laughs> like we all, I feel like we're all very apologetic about the subgenre. And whenever <laughs> people, whenever I talk about my, like my love for organized crime romance, I feel very apologetic about it because we know that topics come up that are very sensitive. We know that there can sometimes be a mishandling of certain subjects that could create some, you know, concern or, or problems or trigger readers. And um, it needs to be handled deftly. But what I find really fascinating is that we are we are that apologetic when you have like thrillers and action mm-hmm. films and yes. movies that are you know targeted to different demographics and no one feels the need to apologize for those movies like or no one feels the need to apologize for enjoying that kind of like action or horror or or you know that kind of media content that has just as much problematic stuff in it. Like, you know, people are praised for liking the Godfather. Why can't we enjoy Mm -hmm. mafia romance? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're totally right. You know that. uh, You're so right. You're right. You're right. I know you're right. 
you know, we're recording in September and last week or 10 days ago, the Oscars released Mm -hmm. a diversity like rubric, essentially saying like in order for a film to be, we'll put links in the show notes, but in in order for a film to be um, nominated for best picture, it had to like, it had to show some measure of diversity because it's 2020. Mm -hmm. And of course, like men on the internet got real mad about like, well, the Godfather wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been able to win an Academy Award. And like one, like your favorite movie from 1972 would not probably win an Academy Award in 2020 anyway. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But a separate from that, like, sorry, gentlemen. Um, But also separate from that, it feels like just what you were saying, like the Godfather is a gift to us. The Sopranos were a gift to us, but like mafia romances. Somehow we have to, you're right. Nisha. Right. Where mafia romances where about that, where like women or heroines are give, are given the opportunity to have agency and to drive a story and to conquer fear and to, you know, have, uh, their, an ability to appear on a page in a way that gives them power. Like, why are we not able to celebrate that? But I feel like this is supposed to be about joy, and I'm about to get on a soapbox, so no, I'm going to step back. No, I was just going to say, Nisha, like, this is the joy episode. If you are getting joy yeah. out of these books, mm-hmm. you're getting joy out of them. Go. Be on your yeah. <laughs> and I think that, you know, the authors who really appreciate the types of uh, the interesting facets of mafia romance that we've all talked about, and they really do it with care and consideration when they write their stories and they take chances in a way that can show the um, different dimensions of humans who are trying to function in these kinds of structures. Um, I feel like they give they give us like a good story that we should celebrate. Yeah. And, you know, I know that in the beginning I mentioned, you know, like you, you guys outed me for my 50 shades love, but in actuality, I don't feel like it's something that I need to worry about being outed about because I'm not going to be ashamed for liking, yeah. you know, specific romance books when I have identified the concerns, the issues and the problems that may appear in the story. And I'm aware of them. And I know that, you know, like they are, they are things that the author should probably focus on developing in future books, but I can appreciate the parts of the story that I resonated with and connected with. And I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be shamed for, for liking something because yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I really have found myself thinking a lot about, how, like, like what would be the one interstitial if someone's like, we should do it? I'd be like, mm, hell no. And it would be actually not this one, right? I was like, yes, let's. It would be cops, right? Mm. And I feel like there's this whole law and order, like, story that gets told in America that's about, like, cops as good guys. Mm. A lot of the things that's about, like, Devil of Downtown, I mean, certainly the Her Russian Protector series is there's a way in which, like, the community that gets taken care of by this group of people is one that has been, like, abandoned by the government. Well, it's mm-hmm. found family. Yes. It's found, it's like, it's, the mafia is wrapped up in immigration, just, it's it's wrapped up in, in race. Mm-hmm. It's wrapped up in this concept of, like, we are not the, the community that's being protected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the one thing that I, I wanted to talk about, and I'm not sure like how to get there. So I'm just going to like 
I don't know, next chapter, <laughs> like, is Russian mobsters. I feel like I think so. the Italians and the Irish really, like, own... Right, like, film and TV, yeah. But, like, in romance, there are a lot of them are Russian. Huh. And I wonder why that is. I I think the interesting... The interesting thing about Russian mobsters is, like, it's, like, the gentrification of toxic masculinity. (laughs) (laughs) Say more. (laughs) Well, Um, like vampires, right? Like vampires. Like, it is, you are able to have toxic masculinity appear on the page in a way that is easily identified. digestible because of like you're assigning it to like a Russian identity and that Russian identity kind of appears through stereotypes that have come out of you know Russian leadership and like you know Russian media and things like that so I think it's it's rooted in stereotype I think it's rooted in the gentrification of the toxic masculinity is it rooted in that like Eastern Promises movie with Viggo Mortensen (laughs) Uh, <laughs> I mean, I do wonder. We said it then. We'll say it again. Viggo Mortensen can get part it. two. I mean, <laughs> right? Or I do wonder sometimes. Like I, you know, I wonder. I mean, I don't know. Like sometimes I do think. Like right? Like I never watched. Um, like the motorcycle club romance at some point I was like I don't understand where this is coming from and someone was like Sons of Anarchy and I was like well, what is that and and then I No, but Sons of Anarchy came after motorcycle. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't I yeah, it's like really interesting. I mean, that- Kristen Ashley has been writing longer than Sons of Anarchy has been on. Yeah, but I'm talking about like Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess the timeline of like how things bubble up to the surface in pop culture is one that, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess we need a PhD and not just like us. Maybe it goes back to the saint at Russian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like if you grew up during the Cold War, the Russians were so, I, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's part of it too, right? Like it's fear. Like I really think, you know, fear and sex are weirdly connected, uh-huh. like psychologically, uh, yeah, this is where we need Adriana. But I, I was you know, about to say, where is Adriana? Herrera? I know we need Adriana on here, but like it feels like fear. Fear is the. I feel like there is there is this very real sense of um, us being drawn or readers being drawn to the things that we are told we should we should be afraid of. Yeah, and like mm. Russian. Every James the, Bond the villain for 25 I years mean, like, was we, a hot Russian yeah. guy. We grew up, all of us grew up with this, yeah. like, big bad of, mm-hmm. you know, what would happen if Russia came. You guys, I still kind of am like, yeah, I'm like, shit, I, we lost the Cold War and everything else. I, God, I didn't expect it to turn out this way. Romance lied to me. James Bond <laughs> lied to me. Lied to yeah. me. <laughs> Where are my crusty coal Russian, like, heroes saving the day? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, in that sense, I feel like... And even Christine Feehan, she had, like, 12 books about Russian, like, organized crime members. You know, she had, like, a whole series and then, yeah. like, additional books at the end of another one. But we talked about this when we talked about the Cressley, uh, the Cressley uh, mafia books. We talked about the fact that they felt like she had just taken the Roth brothers, the vampires, and lifted mm. them up and set them down in modern day right. and like made them people. Yeah. And I think that there is 
there is that piece too. This kind of yeah, supercharged, right? I mean, I think Nisha really hit it on the head. I, I think you're right that it is about gentrification and masculinity. Mm-hmm. Always. 100%. <laughs> what other favorites do you have, Nisha? Did you list them all? Um, I think we talked about the ones that I wanted to hit. Laquette, definitely. Joanna Shoup, Katie, Robert. Um, What's the sexiest one you've ever read? Do you have one? I, I 100% number two, Cressley Cole's <laughs> trilogy. Yeah, the like, Master? Oh yeah, a hundred. Like the master is so sexy. How can you, like, how can you compete Come against on, that? I get to tag chastity belts <laughs> again. Girl. Yeah, you're yes. welcome. You're welcome, people who find us by searching chastity belts. <laughs> um, I mean, there's also a book in the Christine Feehan um, Drake Sisters series that is now is incredibly that a sexy Panther book. That is not the Panther book. They're like they're witches. <laughs> Christine Feehan is one of my like she's she's a she's a shadowed spot for me. Enter at your own risk is <laughs> is my disclaimer. Enter Christine Feehan as your own at your own yeah. risk. Um, but in I think it's number five of that series. Um, I like want to look on my phone, but hold on. I mean. Judgment Road, which is, like, kind of adjacent to that series, <laughs> is by far the most yeah. fucked up book I've ever read, and I love it. That's a great it. title. Yes, of course it is. Mm-hmm. Judgment Road. Yeah, they're all, like, Vendetta Road and Vengeance Road, but Judgment Road Just is by far was... I want to live on Vengeance Road. <laughs> uh, oh, it's called... I'd like to buy a home on Vengeance Road. <laughs> Can you imagine that subdivision, though? Like, every... Every house would have, like, a real spiky fucking fence. You're going to die on that thing. I live at the corner of Vengeance Road and fuck you, We Boulevard. need a map. Maynard County, Kansas. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is, like... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. This is not in Maynard County. This no, is... no, no, no. This is... Vengeance Road is, like, on the corner of, like, Petty Avenue. <laughs> it's probably in Rhode Island, let's be honest. Like, <laughs> um... It's Turbulency, Christine Fahan, number six in the Drake Sisters series, Turbulency, and the main character is a singer who can seduce people to do what she wants with her voice. Oh, like a siren. She's a siren. Like a siren. And uh, the hero is a self-assigned bodyguard. (laughs) (laughs) Self-assigned? Can he be seduced by her voice as well? He cannot because he's also a witch. Oh. Um, And he is the seventh son of a seventh son. Oh, lucky. And it is (laughs) so delicious because... There was so much buildup throughout the few books in the series prior to that story because they're like he like they have like this mating mark that they get if you found your mate. And like it doesn't you can't see it. You only the only time you see it is the first time you get it. And then after that, but you feel it. So like you feel the person if you like touch it. So like she does this scene where she like licks her hand and he like loses his mind. I'm gonna get this book. I'm getting it. Do I have to read the other books in the series first? Um, there's some things that are connected because there is this overall arching story of like what he's trying to do to break down this crime syndicate, but, um, and how like she and her sisters are targeted, um, you know, 
from different people who are trying to basically harness their power or uncover their power. Mm-hmm. And um, but I don't think you need to read the other books in the in the series to kind of to understand. Yeah, you know, and these it's to understand what happens when she licks the mark. <laughs> just yeah, really all I'm really interested good. in right it's now. Really, really good. <laughs> It's joy month. Joy and licking. <laughs> yes. I understand. I'm a weirdo. We all are. But, I, but Nisha told me I shouldn't feel bad about it, so I'm not. No, gonna... you should not. Your joy is just loving what you love and being okay with it. Absolutely. Uh, I am. I feel like we have really like you know, code. We've done some. We've done some solid TBR building here. Always. You guys are never going to call me back. Uh, we are. You're going to come back and talk about secret babies, and we're just going to make Jen. I'm just going to be like, what? I'll just take screenshots of my face, being like, what the fuck. But like, truthfully, they're just these guys. These heroes are just like they're just larger than yeah, life. It absolutely. just goes back to that. Like, I want a hero who's like huge. Yeah. <laughs> in, in more all- ways than one. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. Um, I remember feeling. So I live in Brooklyn, and um, you know, there's a very large um, Slavic community in Brooklyn, like Russians and East Europeans. Um, and um, and I remember the first time I read that series, that mafia series by Cressley, uh, which my friend Louisa Edwards recommended I read and Sophie Jordan re- recommended I read and I put it off and put it off and put it off. And then finally I read it. Cause I, I came to mafia's romance late, obviously now you know why. Mm-hmm. And, um, I remember being at the coffee shop and like seeing this, like clearly like Slavic man walk by and me just being like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I want to go to there. <laughs> and I was like, no, this is what has Cressley done to me. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. Then I started reading mafia romances. So thanks for not. <laughs> well, thanks, Nisha, for being with us. And um, share with us your Glad favorite. I mean, there's so many. I, you know, I will do for good. I'll look at the Goodreads list, and often they'll be like 100 or 200 books. Like the like mafia romance books list is like 900 books. Mm-hmm. So there are. Really this long. is a definitely a deep pool. But I also feel like so many of these writers are they found their their sweet spot, and they are mm-hmm. just writing mafia romance, which is you know great if that's what you're into. They've got you mm-hmm. covered. Mm-hmm. And I think that that Goodreads list on queer mafia romance was mm-hmm. really like my guiding light in trying to figure out like to read more queer romance in this subgenre. So I highly recommend linking that yeah, and, and sure. checking that out. And then um, and also, you know, make sure you check trigger warnings, because if you've never read a mafia yeah, romance yeah. before, it's really important to kind of make sure that you protect yourself. Yeah, these are not like a don't go in. There are no cinnamon rolls. Don't go in unprepared. There are no, uh, Mm -hmm. no, no, no. (laughs) So um, maybe go back and listen to the alpha episode first and then level wade into mafia romance. (laughs) (laughs) Know what you're, know what you're, you're dealing with. (laughs) I think we did a good job though explaining. Like, I don't think anybody's going to walk away being like, oh yeah, this is. Why do people listen to this, right? Yeah, why do people read these? I think there's a lot of reason to read these, yeah. This person runs a coffee. This person is a baker. Uh, <laughs> nobody's expecting a baking hero. 
Um, but maybe you could write that if you're out there and you want to write a, you know. I know this is like we're at the end of the episode, but I have to share something really interesting with you. So for like, like consulting work, I've been reading like a lot of policy law stuff and I came across something interesting where organized crime families are leaving like gun trafficking and they, and drug trafficking and going into like online advertising because it's really interesting because 20% of online advertising is like the, the revenue is created through fraud. And, uh, basically what happens is like, say you have like a family member who opens up an email that has like a link, you know, like a, a bad link, they'll click the link and someone will, um, like basically be able to see everything that they do in their computer. And, you know, what ad, what advertisers will do or what like fraud organized crime families will do is they will um basically like sell ads like like ad hits to companies and basically say company x we promise you 100 million hits in 6 months and that company will pay the crime family a certain amount of money and that crime family will then basically go to these computers that they've infiltrated and they will do what's called like headless browse. I think it's like headless browsing or something where they go and they click on the person's website or they'll click on like the different you know products that they have to show that they've generated hits. Huh. But it's all fake. So organized crime families are now going into advertising. Uh. Checks out. And so maybe you can get a it's computer. It's the end nerd. of an era. <laughs> it's like I'm waiting for someone to write me uh, like an organized crime family that is just a bunch hackers. of like software engineers, <laughs> like hackers but and software engineers. You know what's interesting is that makes perfect sense because like younger people in these families, like they don't want right. to. They don't want to go into like guns and drugs. Like they want to go. They. They want to, they're, these families have a lot of money now. They're like working toward being acceptable in society. Mm -hmm. And so these kids are going to college and they don't, so it makes sense that they would come home and be like, hey, we can actually streamline this crime. Let's make some money this different Mm -hmm. way. Make it safer. No, everybody can just be, they can have a 401k. Just as long as (laughs) we're all clear that nobody is kidnapping small white children out of the Midwest. That's all I have to say about that. What? That QAnon bullshit. What? That all that from? QAnon bullshit. All these people who, like, really think that, like, there's, I, like, cannot even. No, that's Stop reading all that crazy news on Facebook, everybody. Focus. Focus. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I may have gotten the advertising, like, description or explanation a little skewed, that's but, fine. like, that's the general story. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it just sounds like classic money laundering, right? Yeah. Too. Like, it, yeah, you know, definitely. which is... I I remember when I was growing up, there was this, um, so in Providence on, uh, there's a neighborhood called Federal Hill and it was where like all the mafia, like that's where like the mafia existed in Providence. This is where that was their like main location. And there was a, um, video game store, like a, um, so it was like an arcade repair store. Like you could bring your arcade version of like Ms. Pac-Man to this store and they would like repair it for you ostensibly like that was what it said on the sign and they had like pinball machines and stuff inside this inside this store and I would walk past it like every Saturday morning with my dad because we would go to this one bakery to like buy the like Italian the only Italian bread in the state of Rhode Island my father would eat 
And so we would pass this place and they always had like pinball machines all inside this like closed up building. And I loved pinball and I, all I wanted was a pinball machine, like in my house. And I would say every time we went by, like, I really want a pinball machine. Like, do you think we could get a pinball machine for like Christmas or my birthday or whatever? And finally, when I was like 12 or 13, my dad was like, Sarah, the store is never open. (laughs) And I was like, why? And he was like, he explained to me that this was like a complete front. This was like a known front for like one of the biggest crime families in Rhode Island. So I even have a good time looking this shit up for show notes, everybody. I just want you to know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nisha, come back and talk about secret babies with us. I will, 100%. And What's, Shakespeare. That's the other yes. one. And Let's talk about Shakespeare Come back and talk about Shakespeare. Let's do it. Because um, tell everybody, so you have the takeover effect and the legal affair, which are both out. What is yes. next? Um, so the third book in the Singh Family Trilogy, which is coming out next year, along with my next YA novel, which is called Radha and Jay's Recipe for Romance, which is about a classically trained dancer who has to partner with a Bollywood dancer in order to win a competition so she can um, basically win her freedom for the future that she's always wanted. And... Uh, my very first adult rom-com is coming out in July. Or no, September of next year. Uh, and right now, uh, it is untitled, but it is a homage to uh, Taming of the Shrew. Mm-hmm. Nice. Which I'm very excited Love about. Love Taming of the <laughs> Shrew <doesn't>? here. <laughs> um, well, that's all great. But we're not going to wait a year to have Nisha back. We're going to have Nisha back for Secret Babies and make Jen super uncomfortable. And then you come (laughs) back and talk about Shakespeare when that comes out. Um, But Nisha, thanks for coming and talking about stuff that gives you joy. Thank you for having me. Anything else? Anything else give you joy these days? Um, I I have to admit, um, you guys have been giving oh, me a lot of joy. Nice. So oh. listening to your voices and your extra episode this past week was also just when it hit my iPhone, I was like, score. <laughs> you know what's going to give Nisha joy? She's about to log off and go read Ivan. I got you, girl. I I'm excited. I got you. I appreciate Ivan. I'm I'm ready for it. <laughs> well, I'm really glad that we are here for you. I'm glad that you're here for us. I'm glad that you were our cruise director for Fifty Shades Free. Us, <laughs> which was, was my pleasure. Truly. Even though you guys are all haters, all deeply of you are haters. problematic on so many <laughs> levels. Movie number two, um, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm. It's great. Movie number two is. I'm co-signing Adriana's strongly worded letter this year, this week. It is te- definitely the third movie and the third it book. Is not as good. Is not as good. There's a lot of issues. You cannot tie trauma to like the, you know, the, the BDSM, <laughs> the kick. No, fundamentally, Anna. Leave that man. Oh, God, Leave yes. him. Leave him. Yeah. Anyway. He needed to be in cold storage. Um, <laughs> he really did. But you know what I will confess that I have watched again? I've watched uh-huh. several the times. Flip. Is that scene? The flip not scene? The, I, not the flip, but I do appreciate the flip. Like, in the pure The scene's great. The scene that I really love the most in all three of them is the scene where he's just been in the helicopter crash, and then he comes into his apartment, and his mm. whole family's there, and then he's like, let me go say hi to my girl. Mm. And I'm like, mm. love that. 
My favorite is in my favorite is in movie one where she like goes into the elevator and he goes fuck the contract. Mm. I was like yes. All right, all right there's my favorite. So it's so wrong. <laughs> After she like wanders in the rain for three hours and she comes back in and he's like where the fuck have you been? <laughs> just like why is that so hot that you are just like so. I don't know. <laughs> He's like so outraged. She's been know. missing. He's been. She doesn't have her cell phone or her purse. Go out and find her. I mean, but the problem is he's just on the phone with some idiot. Why isn't he out there getting wet finding her? Because yeah, and also why doesn't he ever work? <laughs> Guys, Listen, men don't have to work, work in romance. <laughs> only women do. Come on. <laughs> like, like I, like I was very strategic in the he legal holds affair. Enterprises limited. <laughs> Like, definitely very strategic when I wrote, like, like billionaires. Because they're always, like, I've worked with, like, these guys before. They're always working. Why is Christian Grey never working? I'm sorry. There's there's not enough biometrics in his house. He works <laughs> out a lot. He does. And he works he out a lot. Work. And, and, yes. Working out. There's not enough conference calls. <laughs> Wait. I will say this. So I I bought it on Amazon Streaming. And on Amazon streaming, there's like a a function like you if you accidentally click a thing, which I did, it shows you like pop up trivia the whole time you're watching. <laughs> so I accidentally clicked it for some length of time, and it told me that Jamie Dornan was supposed to be that they wanted another montage of like Christian Gray working out in the whatever one he does the like pommel horse yeah, yeah. trick in. Yes, and he was like. And they were like, but we can't figure out how to get it in, like, naturally. And he was like, well, if you put a pommel horse in the workout room in the morning, I can do this, like, yoga thing on the pommel horse. (laughs) And then everyone will know that I'm, like, exceptionally well. Sure. Like, I've I've treated my body like a temple. Okay. And I was like, that makes perfect sense. Like, I would have appreciated, like, scenes of them going to therapy. Like, that would have been, like, oh. okay. Like, even if That's you don't like show the, the therapy session. Adriana's writing right now. <laughs> that is the fanfic that Adriana's writing. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, come on. Like, take care of yourself, guys. The fanfic like, I'm writing right now is, he is like... <laughs> she left his ass, and he is still in cold storage and working on his business and miserable. Exactly. And then she will take him exactly. back Having three years pay, from now. He's paying a lot of money in child support, and she's living quite happily. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, like, that's what I was hoping for, right? Like, someone to write fan fiction where she intentionally has, like, taken over his company and becomes... <gasps> yes, tell everyone like, <laughs> your, like, dark theory. Yeah, so, it's like, perfect. I have this I have this theory, and um, this is why I think I love the series so much, because I have, like, used... You've retconned Andre- it. <laughs> I know. Like, I've taken, I've taken the story that's actually written by E.L. James and these movies that are written by her husband and I have in my mind twisted it in such a way that it's like no longer the original anymore but like what I would like to see is like in her in her perspective how she intentionally went to his office first just to t- do the interview for her roommate but when she realizes the potential of like how she can get in and she overhears a conversation of like two people talking about like his proclivities and <laughs> she ends up like deciding to like manipulate her like the the way that she presents herself to him in order to like rope him in and then take it. over his business. Like she was Christian. Takes Grail over the business. 
She was Christian Grey all along. That's the story that I want. <laughs> it's like Fight Club. Yes. Yes. And, like, you see her, like, actually, like, like putting on that red lipstick. Like, you see, like, scenes of that, like, and looking at herself in the mirror. And, like, that's the mirror scene I want. Unfortunately. She, like, goes and gets a job at the hardware store because she knows. He's coming to buy zip ties. Yes. I like it. I like it very, very much, Nisha. That is the book (laughs) I would like to read. And she's like a psychology minor, right? So she knows. So obviously, psychology minors know everything. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just taking it all in, everybody. (laughs) Don't poke holes in my bubble. How much would you have at the end been like, this blows my mind, I'm in love with it? Yeah, it would have been great. <laughs> Anisha's pretty busy, but I think she could find some time to write that for us. I do. I, I don't know if I'm the best person for this, but... No, that's a great <laughs> domestic thriller. Isn't that what we would call it, a domestic mm-hmm. thriller? Definitely. Someone call Jane and Krantz. <laughs> she yes. would do it justice. <laughs> she really would. Um, everyone, Nisha, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me at Nisha Writes on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, you can find me on my website at www.nisha-sharma.com and you can find me on youtube at nisha writes online and nisha is a very sort of deeply committed planner who is guiding me through planning and you can watch videos on her youtube channel (laughs) of her planning um everyone this is faded mates you can find us at fadedmates.net you can get merch there there is um, clothing there are pins there are stickers there's all sorts of stuff you can also see all the music that is in all of these episodes on the spotify playlist that's linked there transcripts are there thank you to linda and gwen who are helping us with transcripts now um stay tuned next week more joy um you have two weeks until the election so make sure that you filled out your ballots and that you have a plan to vote you can volunteer you can still write postcards you can still phone bank you can still uh text bank um we are here for you stay fired up yep vote biden harris and blue right down the line hi faded mates uh my name is julia i'm the bliss tour on twitter and instagram and those things but i'm taking a break from social media so i probably won't be there but i am calling because i wanted to talk to you about the heiress effect by courtney milan um i read this book in 2014 and i'd probably been reading romance for a while there, but I didn't think of myself as a, at that point, but I didn't think of myself as a romance reader um, because I didn't read historicals and I never wanted to read historicals. Like back in the 70s, my sister read like Sweet Savage Love and when I was in college in the 80s, I, I had friends who had Harlequins that had the drawn um, covers, they traded those and I didn't get it. I was a sci-fi fantasy paranormal reader, even though maybe I didn't realize that some of those paranormals were romances. Um, so I even read Fifty Shades of Grey and still didn't consider myself like 
capital R romance reader. And then I don't know how I got it or found it. It was probably a day's sale or something like that. And I started reading The Heiress Effect and I was like, what is going on? And then I just took a deep dive into Courtney Milan. Um, her characters are so layered and complicated and uh, I, 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 I'm, I called to say, hey, I'm explaining what this meant to me. It's just, it was just like a feeling. It didn't feel like it was just so detached. They seemed like real people, um, even though they lived a hundred years ago or whatever. So that's what started it. Courtney Lamont's Eris Effect, deep dive into her uh, books. And then I started on Sherry Thomas, took a deep dive into that. And um, Luckiest Lady in London has the second, probably the second best prologue of any romance. Uh, and then I dived into Elizabeth Hoyt, Maiden Lane, and yeah, I am a capital R romance writer. I mean, romance reader. <laughs> That's total uh, Freudian slip. I'm a capital R romance reader, and um, yeah, I love historicals now. Who would have thunk it? All right. Thanks. Take care.